Morning, everybody. <clears throat> if you want to look with me at the first of two scriptures we'll be looking at, John chapter 17 is the first short passage found there that we'll read. How many of you, then there's, you can't answer way back there because you already know. What is today? Pardon me? Okay, I'm hearing All Saints Day. Um, Halloween, I think I heard, which is coming from pagans. <laughs> Somebody just said it. Reformation Sunday, okay? This is the date, the anniversary of the 1517, that's a long time ago, 1517 Act of Martin Luther, an Augustinian monk in Germany who nailed to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, which, by the way, two years ago, the wonderful kindness and generosity of this congregation, you sent Liz and I um, to Europe, among other things, to see that. And so we, we stood at that, it's, it's fenced off, but we stood by those great big double doors where Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to that door. And the 95 theses were 95 specific objections he had to what had over the centuries developed in the Catholic Church that he believed was not scriptural doctrine. Teachings that were not backed up by scripture. Even secular historians recognize that was a monumental, history-altering day. Um, when, I first, when I first started out in the pastorate, it, about the same time people started, they discovered fire. Um, you were not a decent preacher, at least evangelical, small e unless it, Reformation Sunday was basically thump those Catholics Sunday. Um, and, I mean, you had to preach a sermon, and I preached a lot of them, um, you know, about the Reformation and um, breaking away from Catholicism. Things have changed to such a degree, seriously. I, today, have far more in common with a devout Catholic than I, than I do with the entire Protestant bunch of mainline liberals. So, especially today, we can't preach beating up the Catholics because we have to talk about heaven. Um, I'm finishing today what we've been looking at uh, in times both for us personally and for um, then the end of history. But anyway, um, and don't come to my house tonight um, with your kids, even though they're real cute. 
Um, I am just kind of a grouch when it comes to um, Halloween. Um, the do the doors or the door will be locked, all the lights off as a signal. I'm not there. If you happen to catch Liz, you, you know you're okay. But anyway, <clears throat> the first scripture that I want to read is John 17, which is the high priestly prayer. And we'll just read the first three verses. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The first thing that I want us to look at today on the subject of heaven is what qualifies me for heaven. This little passage here addresses that. I'm reminded, too, of the great statement that John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, wrote in his journal, just part of it. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God has condescended to show us the way. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. That should be the same desire of every human being. How to make it to heaven. God's written it down in a book. We have that book. What do we learn from this short passage here? <clears throat> a couple things. That eternal life has two meanings. Everlasting life, eternal life, heaven. Has two meanings. One, the word eternal both means length or quantity of life. It's forever. But primarily, even more important that that than that, eternal life, the word eternal, is qualitative. It's a kind of life. We could even say this, um, just talking about anyone, someone who died and they died in full age, they lived to be 90, and we could say they lived a long and productive, joyful life. We said two things about them. We said about the length, which is quantity, 
of life, but we also spoke about the quality of life. We could also say so-and-so lived a long but difficult life. We talked about quantity, the length of it, but we also spoke to its quality. It was difficult. It was hard. So those two things are wrapped up in the word, words here, eternal life. Primarily, the most important is Jesus' definition then of the quality of life. He defined it in verse 3. This is eternal life. Not length, though that's assumed. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is the quality of, e of eternal life. That is the requirement to make it to heaven. No one will see heaven who does not know the quality of eternal life, which is to know God. That means, to know God means to experience, it's experiential, it's not just intellectual. He doesn't say, know a lot of facts about God. I know God. All of us have people in our lives through media, whether it's television or, you know, whatever. We could say, I know that person. We see their face. We hear their voice. I, I know them. We know how we mean that. We could identify them. But we don't know them. We don't know them at all in the sense in which Jesus means it here. It is a close, personal fellowship, nearness that is experienced spiritually beginning with the new birth. Beginning when I turn from sins, trust in Jesus, ask him to come into my heart, and make me alive spiritually. That is the beginning of knowing God that grows, continues, deepens, expands. That I know God. I've learned to know his still small voice. I know the senses that he gives us. There are those times when it can be spoken like older versions of scripture, King James Version, 1611 language. David stepped out of line, not talking about Bathsheba and all that. David disappointed God, and it says his heart smote him. We learn what that feels like. We may say something and our hearts are smitten. And we sense God's grieved. 
and we immediately reverse and ask him to forgive us and vow to learn not to do that again. We learn God's direction. We, we understand when God's seeming to talk to us. I won't go into a lot of detail. Um, there was a, a member of our congregation who's been ill for years and years and years and years and years, and very few of you would even uh, know him, but I was called up to <clears throat> the ICU I think it was Thursday and this person was dying and the question was do we what do we do um, do we reduce the interventions that are taken to extend that person's life and Nobody seemed to know what to do. And his wife and I visited there, and um, he was able to respond. The doctor came in, um, didn't really know what to advise. Um, but the doctor, turned out, was a Christian. This man's brother was there. He was a good Christian. And we just talked and prayed, Lord, what do we do? And they weren't all there at the same time, but over a period of 10 minutes or so, the brother came in, the doctor came in. But it was just a sense of peace and certainty kind of settled over us. Don't do anything. Just wait. Well, everybody else who came into the room who had a stake in it seemed to respond the same way. Everybody just had a peace. Yeah, let's just do nothing. Let's just wait. Let, let's let God, and God took care of it by himself. Well, you learn because you know God. Not a bunch of facts about him that we can reel off but you sense God's moods. You sense his spirit. That's what Jesus meant here. Here's eternal life. That I know God. And Jesus, his son whom he has sent. That's the qualification for making it to heaven. Now let me give a qualification You don't have to have that level of maturity that comes after being a Christian for 30 years, or 50 years, or 10 years. The thief on the cross didn't have any time to mature in the faith. Okay, But Jesus said, you're going to be with me today in paradise. Why? Because of the great faith he showed in his words. He said to a dying man who maybe he'd never seen before, I don't know, but to a man who is stretched out on a cross, who's dying and he knows he's dying, 
Think about the amount of faith that thief had. He said, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He's saying that to someone who's dying. But he knew this man's going to live beyond the grave, and so will I. And he, he can bring me in to his kingdom that I believe he will establish. Amazing amount of confidence, faith in Jesus. That blossoms immediately in our hearts and qualifies us. That's eternal life. Now, don't want to spend too much more time there, but the word life is Zoe. It's really used of God's life. The word bios, which is another Greek word for life, is never used regarding eternal life. It's Zoe. It's God's life dwelling in me. And how do we receive it? Jesus said, I give it in response to my faith. So eternal life <clears throat> is what qualifies me for heaven. And let me conclude this point with this thought. The eternal life and I want you to remember this. The eternal life that God gives me is eternal not in the sense of duration, but in the sense of knowing God. Why do I say that? Because Jesus gives eternal life to me does not mean that that life as a result of one momentary act of faith is therefore never separable from me. In other words, I can lose that eternal life because he's not talking about duration He's talking about a quality of a relationship that is eternal life. If I stop knowing God by stop trusting, obeying, loving, following Him, I no longer have eternal life because the eternal life, one more time, that Jesus gives is a quality of life, not just a duration. So eternal life, I can forfeit. Technically, maybe I shouldn't and won't today, at least, use the word lose. Lose might sound like it's accidental. It's not. By specific acts of disobedience, I can forfeit the quality of eternal life that God has given me. I cannot expect then to continue expecting heaven 
when I have forfeited the qualification for heaven, which is to know God and his son Jesus, whom he has sent. Now, let's shift to having looked at the qualification. I want to look then specifically at just heaven itself. And for that, I want you to look with me to uh, the end of Revelation 21 and then a few verses on into Revelation 22. In Revelation 21, verse 22, I read this last week. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor any one who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Heaven then is both a state, a kind of life, but it's also a specific place. Originally, everywhere in the Bible that the word heaven is spoken, it's basically God's dwelling place. It's where God dwells. Now, that's almost a contradiction. But God has to condescend to come down to our level, okay? The scripture says the heavens of the heavens cannot contain God, all right? So, if God cannot be, says even the space that he created can't contain him. He is above and beyond and outside of even what he made, though he also fills heaven and earth. So to say his dwell, he has a dwelling place, his dwelling place is everywhere. That's what we mean by one of the attributes of God, which is omnipresence. He is present fully everywhere. There's no place where God isn't. We can't grasp that. But God, you, that's what Psalm 139, David said, where can I go? from your presence. If I take the wings of the morning and go to the utmost ends of the earth, you're there. 
No matter where I go, you're there. So God, even for us as humans, he has to, he has to speak in human terms. He lives in heaven. That's his dwelling place. It's heaven. And heaven is often spoken of as the, it's, it's the source of everything good. It's the source of everything right. It is the template for all that's right. Even to the, Jesus confronted the Pharisees about John the Baptist. They were picking at Jesus, didn't believe in him. And he said, um, you know, John the Baptist, what about him? Was his ministry from man or was it from heaven? Well, the Pharisees took counsel with each other and, you know, huddled in the corner and whispered to each other. If we say it's of men, the people will stone us because they all believed he was a divine prophet. If we say to him that it's from heaven, he's going to say right back to us, then why didn't you believe him? And so then they come back and they say, uh, we don't know. We can't answer. So Jesus responded to them, I'm not answering you either of all the questions you're throwing at me. But notice the difference there. It was, it's assumed heaven's the source of all that's right, true, authentic. Man is not. Every good and perfect gift, James said, comes down from above, from the Father of lights. So heaven is the source of all that's good, right, true, holy. <clears throat> But as people, heaven is probably two things. Heaven is our hope. Heaven's our home. Our hope, and in Hebrews, the word hope is linked with the word anchor. One of the songs this morning spoke of the anchor. The hope of heaven is our anchor. Scripture even says our, our anchors entered into the holy place. When we trust in God, the anchor to our lives that keeps us from being swept away is the hope of heaven. And it's the home we long for. God put that into our hearts. We he says... Scripture says he's placed eternity in our hearts. There is a homing device that God's put in our hearts for my true home. The old song long years and years and years ago, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. That's true. The danger, and here's the danger, if I make this world too much my home, I'll miss that one. If I focus so much on this one and accruing in this life the things that this world's value system values, possessions, portfolios, fame, power, I lose that home once I make this one too much my home, I'll miss that one. 
So it has, we have to always think then in terms of heaven. Will this controversy that I'm in right now, this bickering in the family or whatever thousands of things people can get worked up about, I really think the longer we walk with God, the more we are prone to think, yeah, but what difference is this going to make at judgment? Is this going to matter when I'm staring the grave in the face? Maybe I ought to think in terms of eternity. That's what matters. That's what matters. I was thinking, and I don't think God has, he's not a grouch. We have things in this world that are temporary, and they matter to us, and God understands that. Um, I can't believe that God, well, I'm certain, I'm certain that God is not irritated with and opposed to sports. He is the way it's treated in Gillette, but... Um, because it matters more than God, Jesus, hell, heaven, everything in Gillette. But the Bible is filled with illustrations of the spiritual life drawn from sports. Wrestling, boxing, racing. Those are frequently used. But I think about Sports figures, you know, we hang on every word they say. Who should I vote for as leader of the country? By someone who is famous because they can throw an oblong ball. Or someone who is, just has to lift their arm up and put a ball through a net, doesn't take any effort at all. What should I do? What's their opinion? What do I think about the great issues of life? It's, it's absurd. It's totally absurd. I'm reading a book right now, which I shouldn't read. Um, it's called Ministering to People Who No Longer Need a God. It's describing our culture. Trying to be a pastor to people, the com community-wide, who don't need God. The introduction starts out about not that many years ago, a hundred years. Some of the well-known, and surveys showed it, um, well-known or well-regarded people were preachers. Oh, you can't find a preacher. Preachers now are way down the list, much in many cases to their own failures, enough Jim Bakers and people like that. But it's an indication of where we're at as a culture that the people who matter, and let me, you know, I hope you understand me, the people that matter don't matter. They don't matter at all in what they're doing Anyway, the hope then of this world that gets the Christian through this world 
is that we don't look at this world. Paul said, we don't look at the things we can see because they're temporary. They're passing away. He said, we look at what you can't see. What you cannot see is eternal. That's the only thing that's going to last. Only God. When I was a little kid, probably, I don't know how, I was really little. There was always this plaque hanging on the, my bedroom wall. Along with that little night light, you know, where you have um, an angel helping the little kids across the bridge and the raging waters below, that, that takes me clear back to right when they started coming up with electricity. But anyway, I had this, I had this little plaque on the wall. Only one life, and, and by the way, I, I just comes to my mind, only one life will soon be passed. That's encouraging to put up in little kids, you know, you're going to die soon. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I saw that every day. Still has to be instilled in my heart, but it's true. Jesus and my, what I've done with Jesus is all that matters. This home, this hope <clears throat> will not be a place. Now, finally, I want to get shortly to heaven. What are we going to do there? Now, we have to speculate a bit, but at least we can speculate within the confines of what the Bible seems to teach us, not what quasi-Christians teach us. The notion on most cases is you sit on a cloud, you play a harp, and other than that, you amount to absolutely nothing. There's nothing else to do. You just strum on a harp and I don't know what else. Okay? That's ridiculous. Um, there's some things that are not spelled out real clearly. But it says we will worship God. But it also says we'll serve him. That means activity. Let's try to think in these terms. Remember, heaven, redemption, everything that God put into place in giving his own son and redeeming this lost race has to do with restoring what he made in the first place. There was nothing wrong with that. Sin ruined it. His whole program then is to purge sin from my heart and then from the world by judgment and then destruction of this world and remaking of a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. So there's something we can learn then from Adam and Eve in the initial creation. They weren't just laying around. God gave them a job. He said, you have dominion over the entire world. The birds of the air, fish of the sea, the animals on the land. And he said, it says he put Adam into the garden to till the garden. He had a job to do. 
Another thought that I ran across in reading for this, God has given everyone a whole range of gifts that we have and abilities. Somehow, I don't see any reason, and he gave those gifts before the fall. Some good scholars think, again, I don't know all that we'll do, but we'll have gifts, we'll have abilities. One thing we'll do for all of eternity is continue to learn more and more of God, of his creation, of the things that we wonder about today. He's infinite. We'll still be finite even though we're in heaven. So there's no end of what we can learn. I think also we will get, we'll have time to sit down with David and Abraham and the great saints talk to Paul. It's limitless, but it will not be inactive. We, the, the common notions, the truth of the matter is, most of the common notions fall so far short. Remember this, Paul's told the Corinthians in the second chapter, first letter. It hasn't, he said, I hasn't seen, ear has not heard, neither has it ever even entered into the, our imagination what God has prepared for those who love him. There's that qualitative word again. Heaven, then, will not be a boring, inactive uh, we got to go to church again, um, kind of thing. I don't know all that we'll be doing, but there's no death, there's no disease, there's no bickering over who, you know, think of Thanksgiving's coming up. I've known of cases, had to halfway get dragged into them, fighting over who makes the dressing. Because grandma always made it. And now this new daughter-in-law who's come in, she thinks she can make it. Well, she can't make it as good as grandma. This is the idiocy that we'll be picked up out of. And we'll be able, we don't have to worry about that. We don't worry about disease. We don't worry about darkness. We don't worry about anything unholy, unclean. We're not tempted there's no devil. So it's hard to preach about heaven if we, if we believe the scripture that what's there can't even be imagined. So how do we spell it out? I don't know. But I know it will be, it'll, it'll satisfy the deep need of every heart fully. We're home. We, find, we made it Let's bow our heads. And one thing, too, about heaven, there won't be any time there. So you can't go over.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we quiet our hearts in the sanctuary of this church, I know you're speaking to us, Lord. I know your Holy Spirit is always faithful to speak to us each and every second of each and every day. It's whether we're going to listen or not. So I pray this morning after we heard this message, Lord, and the truth that it was presented to us out of your word today, that we do just a few things as a church. Whether we're sitting in this sanctuary, watching this online today or later, may we be a church who keeps an eternal perspective in the temporal things of this life in the wind and the waves and the storms that come and go and the blessings that we have here. May no matter what experience we have, Lord, not be based, may our Christianity not be based on whatever the circumstance or experiences that we have. May our Christianity be this, that we keep an eternal perspective in the temporal things of this life. We keep our eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We keep our eyes fixed on that shore that is heaven as we walk through the junk, the storms of this world on this side of heaven because this is not our home. We are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. And may that homing device that Pastor Dan shared with us this morning, Lord, always be activated and always help us to keep our eyes fixed on our eternal destination. But may the, the quality of that relationship that is eternal life be good. Because we allow God to till the ground of our hearts, to till our soil, that we receive good seed, and we are strong, faithful believers. So, Father, we may not know a lot about heaven, about the details, about what it's going to be like specifically. Because even Paul said he saw things that he could not share, that he was not allowed to share. But here's what we do know. We know who will be there. And the one we want to spend eternity with will be in heaven. And how that plays out? We don't know, but we do know who will be there, and that's Jesus. So help us, Lord, to walk in a manner on this side of heaven to bring you glory, and we do that by your grace, so that one day we will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And that will, those words will come from the one that we long to see face to face when that time comes. And it's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray this morning. Amen. Love you guys. You are dismissed. Have a great day, everyone.